before I get started, I just thought I'd give you guys a little update. I know you enjoy my Adventures in Sarah series, and so I brought this little book bag to give you a little update, and it goes along with my sermon. Today I'm going to talk about what now? What now? Now, not what next, because if, if you're in the what next, that means you have your stuff together enough to think about what to do next. I'm talking about when you are in the middle of a hot mess and it's like, what now? What now? I can't think about next. I just got to make it through the next 30 seconds. Anybody ever been there? What now? So I was there a couple of weeks ago, three, three weeks ago. I am trying to impart to my seven-year-old responsibility. You know what I mean? Like, be responsible for your things, be a good steward, be responsible for your things, be a good steward, because I feel like all I do all day is repeat myself. Did you pick up your shoes? Hey, have you picked up those shoes yet? Are your shoes picked up? I think these are your shoes I asked you to pick up. Is anybody in that season? Do you remember that season? It's like you almost feel like you have a form of parents Tourette syndrome. It's like all you do is repeat yourself. And so I would always tell my son, put your book bag in the car. It's time to go. Put your book bag in the car. We've got to go to car line. Put your book bag in the car. Well, at some point, you have to let go and see if that baby bird can put the book bag in his car. And if he can't, consequence is an amazing teacher, is it not? So my son... I saw the book bag in the driveway out of the corner of my eye, and I thought, I'm not going to say, did you put your book bag in the car? I bit it back. And, you know, we went on to school. Well, lo and behold, we get out to go to car line, and he's like, Mom, I don't have my book bag. And I'm being the good parent, right? I'm like, son, you know, we talked about this. We talked about responsibility. We talked about being a steward with your things. If you don't have your book bag, you need to talk to your teacher, you know, explain it. But I'm not going back home to get it for you, okay? We'll have to figure out the day without it and eat hot lunch. Mama loves you. Bye-bye. So, of course, I am sort of talking out of both sides of my mouth because I went home to look for the book bag, okay? And because I'll tell you selfishly, I didn't go back for Owen. I went back for me because I finally remembered to pack his library books and I finally remembered to log his reading and I wanted to show off to the teacher. I have it together, all right? So I go home and the book bag isn't in the driveway and I am appalled. I'm like, this is a teaching moment gone very bad. I live in the hoodlands. People are stealing seven-year-olds' book bags. Is this what we've come to, society? You're so hard up for drug money, you're going to steal a pencil pouch. You know, that's where we're at. And so I email the teacher. I say, this has gone horribly wrong. I was trying to teach my son a lesson. Now his whole book bag has been stolen. Can you believe where society has degenerated to? I apologize, but please give him a new reading log. I promise you we read, and I will pay the school back the books because they're long gone. So the teacher, about an hour later, emails me, and she says, a good Samaritan turned in the book bag. And I thought, oh, there's hope for society. Somebody probably left it on the side of the road after they rifled through it, ate his peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but a good Samaritan turned it into Colin Powell Elementary School. And so my son comes home, and he's got his book bag on. And you can't tell from where you're at, but the book bag's a little worn. And I'm like, I can, society's in the gutter. Who would vandalize this child's backpack? And then I look closer, and I'm like... That wasn't there earlier. I wonder how that, I wonder how that's some teenager just being a jerk. I can't. So then we're driving home and I'm still trying to figure out who would do this to a child's backpack. And on the side of the road, I see this little guy. And I'm like, that looks familiar. And it's a lot flatter than it used to be. And guys, I'm no Columbo, but I'm pretty sure. I ran over my own child's backpack. <laughs> I drug it two blocks through Summer Storm neighborhood, and I left it for dead. And some good Samaritan saw his name on it, and instead of calling CPS, thank God, 
they turned it into Powell Elementary School. And you guys, I never told Owen that I ran over the book bag. For all he knows, we have ninja squirrels right here in the Woodlands, Texas, that drug this thing off. But in that moment, three weeks ago, where I was at, I was in a what now? What now? What else is going to catch on fire? I felt like my whole life was putting out fires. What, what, okay, what now? I can't even think about my next step because I'm just so consumed with what's taking up all the air out of my lungs right now. And so that's what I want to talk to you guys about because we all get in those seasons. And sometimes the seasons are more serious than dragging your kid's backpack through your neighborhood. Sometimes the seasons are, what do you mean layoff? (laughs) Sometimes the season is, what do you mean the test result is positive? What do you mean you're not in love with me anymore? (laughs) What do you mean you're attracted to other women? No, no. What do you mean? And we go through this, it's like a shell shock. It's like a, a what now where we can't even process what's happening, but we feel incredibly exposed and we don't know what to do next. And it's not because we're living in sin. It's not because Satan's leading us astray. Sometimes the Lord brings us into a what now season because he likes to get our attention and he likes to show us what I have for you is not anything you can do for yourself, but I'm about to show you that I truly can make anything that comes into your life bring me glory. And we end up in a what now season. So, Right now, I'm going to be in Exodus 14, if you want to turn there with me. And there's a, a, a story in the gospel or in the, in the Bible I want to share with you. And I'm going to go a little old school Sunday school teacher on y'all. Are y'all okay with that? I grew up in Sunday school. I loved it. Felt boards and animal crackers and Kool-Aid. That's how I grew up. And I didn't bring any animal crackers and Kool-Aid. And I didn't bring a felt board. But I brought Jonathan, and he got me some cool maps. Are y'all ready? So we're going to be in Exodus 14, 1 through 14, and I'm going to read through the Amplified Bible. And this is the story of the children of Israel as they have just left Egypt and they are about to enter into the promised land. This is right after Pharaoh lets them go. And so you guys remember from the Bible story, the children of Israel were enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt for close to 400 years, and finally the Lord sends them a deliverer, and he says, it's time for my people to be let go, and Pharaoh won't let him go, and there's a series of plagues, amazing demonstrations of God's power, and, and finally Pharaoh lets him go, and this is right after they've been turned loose from Egypt. That's where we pick it up, and it's Exodus 1, chapter 14, verse 1, and it says, and the Lord said to Moses... Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp before Pi-Pharoth, between Migdal and the Red Sea, before Baal-Sephon. You shall encamp opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering aimlessly in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. I will harden, make stubborn and defiant Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will be glorified and honored through Pharaoh and all his army. Sometimes the thing that is pursuing you, sometimes the thing that has got you in the what now season is the thing that God decides is going to honor him and give him the glory. Amen? Amen. So I will be glorified and honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and all the Egyptians shall know without any doubt and acknowledge that I am the Lord. And they did so. So here's a map I've got. The Israelites were going to just go right to Canaan. They were going to go right to Israel. And the Lord said, no, we're going to turn back. So you're going the opposite direction. And I'm going to lead you from where you were in Egypt to this place, to this crossing in the Red Sea. And so it looks like instead of going east and north, they end up going south, closer to Saudi Arabia than Israel. And they end up in these ravines, and they can't really see where they're going because the hill country there is so tall and the mountains are so high that you're kind of in this cavernous area and you're wandering. And they think they're making progress. All they know is they're following this pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, and they're being you know, led by Moses. And they think they're making progress. And when they finally can see the horizon, they see a wall of water, which is the Red Sea. You know, sometimes in life, you and I feel like we're making progress, but it's a lot like a kid riding a bicycle in a cul-de-sac. We're pedaling really hard, 
really, really hard, but the scenery isn't changing. <laughs> and we think we're making progress, and we're really breaking the sweat, and I'm actually getting steps for this right now. So I may do this the rest of the service. <laughs> no, I can't. Whew. That was my workout for the night. But we feel like we're pedaling so hard, and the scenery's not changing. And all we see is this Red Sea in front of us. And that's where the Israelites are. They're like, are you serious? We were supposed to be headed out of Egypt. We were supposed to be heading into our inheritance. And you've brought us to this dead end, to this cul-de-sac. Have you ever been in a season where you feel like God has brought you and delivered you and you're finally free of this thing and you end up in a cul-de-sac? You end up in a dead end. And you really, your first inclination is to really question whether or not God's will is good for you. God, do you really have this under control? Because I thought I'd be a lot further along than this right now. I've been serving you. I've been loving you. I've been trusting you. And Lord, all I do is pedal and see the same stuff every time I look. I've been there. And if you haven't been there, you will one day. It happens to everybody. And so the Israelites are there. And it says here in verse 9, we pick it back up, it says, The Egyptians chased them with all the horses and all the war chariots Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army had, and they overtook them as they camped by the sea, beside, I can't pronounce that a second time, in front of Balzephon. <laughs> and as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians marching after them, and they were frightened. So the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? Did we not say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So here's the, the second map. This will explain it. It's the scene of the beach. So the, the, what's happened, you can see the ravines. That's everything they've just walked through where they came out of Egypt and they end up on this beach. And so when I told you they came out of these hills and all they see is this water, this is where they're at. This is the actual crossing of where the children of Israel had left Goshen, left Egypt and come here. Now here's the thing. The Egyptians are right there at the bottom right of the screen. So the Israelites have nowhere to go. They got water on three sides and mountains on one, and then they've got the Egyptians closing off their escape. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing more exposed than a beach. Where are you going to go for cover in a beach? What, that's why the D-Day invasion was so incredible, because our allied forces took a beach. How do you take a beach there's nothing to hide behind. There's no cover to be found. And I got to tell you, there are seasons in my life where I feel that exposed, where God has led me to a beach. It's, oh my gosh, what do you mean my kid is sick? No, that's where I feel fully exposed and completely raw. What do you mean our marriage is in trouble? You want to see a counselor? That's where I feel fully exposed and completely raw. What do you mean you're laid off? We only have three months of house payments stuffed in the mattress. That's where I feel completely exposed and raw is when I'm in that beach. And that's where the children of Israel are. And when you're in a what now season, you've already tried to figure things out on your own. You've already tried to build a bulk hedge. You've already tried to work something out in your head. And when by the time you get to a what now season, you're on a beach surrounded on three sides with Egyptians coming in for you. That's where these people are. The people of God are. So I want to give you three points, three things we can pull from this scene, from this beach scene, that the next time you're in a what now season, you're going to look forward to the parting of that sea and not panic on the beach, okay? Amen. So what now? The first point is there are no dead ends. <laughs> there are no dead ends. Sometimes the most frustrating part about being in a what now season is that our enemy shows up. We're doing fine. Things are bad, but as long as the enemy doesn't show up, we're okay. Well, I want to submit something to you, that sometimes your enemy has to show up in order for the Lord to bless you. Because the psalmist said this, he said, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Sometimes the enemies aren't there, 
to get after you. Sometimes the enemies are there because the Lord has lured them there because he wants to bless you or sucks off right in front of them. (laughs) Sometimes he just wants to say, you know what, this thing that's been chasing you for a long time, I'm about to take care of this thing. This cul-de-sac is actually the corral where this thing dies. You think you're trapped, but I haven't trapped you. I've trapped the thing that's pursuing you, and I intend to take care of that today. So sometimes we just have to remember that the dead end is not, and the enemy showing up in that dead end, it really isn't about us. It's about the fact that the Lord wants to bless us in the presence of our enemies. Nothing is more frustrating than when you're praying for blessing and you're praying for breakthrough. One thing after another happens to you. Isn't that frustrating? You're like, am I praying the wrong thing? Lord Jesus, what is going on? Do I need to start fasting and praying? Maybe I need to walk and pray. Maybe kneeling and praying isn't doing the trick. You know what I mean? You start praying for things. You pray for breakthrough, and things start breaking around you. That is not what I was agreeing for, but I want to submit to you when that happens, you just need to put on your seatbelt right now because good things happen to the people of God when the enemy shows up because the Lord tells us in his scripture, when the enemy comes at you like a flood, I raise up a standard against it. So when the enemy shows up, I know God's about to show out. And I said, oh, thank you, gentlemen. Have a seat right here. You're my enemy. Have a seat right there. Because it's going to get good, good fast. And that's hard to remember sometimes. That perspective is hard to keep in mind. The enemy is sometimes like a quarter. I saw Marcus Witt do this. It just, it, it just fed my soul like five years ago. He said, sometimes the enemy is like a quarter. If the quarter's on the table, that's not a big deal to me, right? It's not consuming me. I can put it in my pocket. I can flip it in the air. But sometimes we let the enemy get right here. And we're like, oh, I can't see anything. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is crazy. What am I going to do next? Oh, I can't, this is consuming me. I can only see, how, oh, my, what's going to happen? And the problem is we focus so much on the darkness in the enemy that is trying to come into our lives that we forget to change our perspective and put him under our feet where the Lord has placed him. If you will sit there and you will say, Lord, I am fully equipped for every good work in Jesus Christ. Father, all authority over heaven and earth has been given to me. And this enemy is bound in the name of Jesus. His place is not in your right eye, but exactly where the Lord has him. And when you get in a dead-end situation, the reason the Israelites are panicking is because they're looking to their rear and not looking to their future. And sometimes you and I, we got to make sure that we understand that there are no dead ends with God. And when your enemy shows up, God's about to show out and just keep him in perspective. He's there. I'm not telling you he's not there. I'm not telling you he's not real. I'm not telling you that it isn't hard. You all know that. But what I'm telling you is that his place is not right here. His place is right here. All right. So the next thing is that dead ends aren't supposed to kill you. They're supposed to kill the thing that's pursuing you. They're not supposed to kill you. They're supposed to kill the thing that's pursuing you. The Lord tells Moses, he says, the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. I love that word. Because there are some things that have been nipping at my heels for longer than I like to count. And I'm finally ready for a new set of problems. Anybody ever been there? You're like, all right, Lord, I'm getting tired of this problem. How about a new problem? And I'm not talking about the person you came to church with tonight, okay? That's not it. Don't do it. Mm-mm. No. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And I love that the Lord says, I have brought you to this dead end, not because I'm trying to scare you, not because I'm trying to frustrate you, not because I'm trying to wear you down, frustrate you, or kill you. You are my children, and I am the good shepherd. That's not why I have brought you to this beach, to this place that looks like you have no way out. I have brought you to this place because your enemy, the way he's chasing you, it stops today. (laughs) The Egyptians you see today, you are not going to see again. And the reason we can have that confidence is that our God does not have dead ends. He has hidden highways. He has hidden highways. You know what? I love it when science catches up to the Bible. That's really exciting to me, you know, because he's the author of science. It's sort of like the whole life debate. 
In the 70s, we had this huge debate about, you know, a, a woman's right and, and when does life begin, and they weren't really sure because, you know, science in the 70s and a panel of judges determined third trimester, and then all of a sudden you have all of this science with sonograms and ultra 3D, you know, ultrasounds, and we're able to see and hear heartbeats, and we're able to see, oh my gosh, life truly begins at conception just like the Bible said it did. Oh my gosh. And the same thing with the Red Sea. So we're reading this story, and we think, this is fantastic. How did these people cross the Red Sea? And then all of a sudden, science catches up to the Bible. And this archaeologist, Ron Wyatt, in the 1970s, they finally had sonar where they could test the depth of the sea and test see how, how deep the sea was. And he went to where the Bible described the cities that I told you where the Israelites camped and where they crossed. And he said, well, if they had to cross here, let's just see what the sea depth is. And he found out that the seabed at the Red Sea is, is hundreds, even maybe a thousand feet deep on this side, a thousand feet deep on this side, and there's this underwater hidden plateau right where the Israelites crossed. Whoa. He's like, are you kidding? This is how when scripture says that the east wind drove back the water, it just opened up what God had already had for them to cross on, a hidden highway. I want to encourage you that when you feel like you're at a dead end, God has had the path for your feet secured since the dawn of time. It may have been hidden from your eyes, but it is not hidden from his. And when he sees you in that place and you don't know what your next step is going to come from or how, God has this way of revealing hidden highways. You know, I love it when Isaiah is prophesying about the coming of the Lord. He's talking about how John is going to be this voice in the wilderness. We know that prophecy. If it's Isaiah 40, I think 43, it says, A voice in the wilderness making the path straight for our Lord, a highway to our God. I love that verbiage where it says a highway to our God. That Jesus is this highway. When you're in a dead-end situation and you don't know what your path is, I promise you it's Jesus I promise you, he is the highway. He is the thing you need to walk on. And I have to remind myself when I get in a what now situation, because I'm human, right? I run over my kid's book bag and drag it through the neighborhood. Y'all should still come to church here, even though I'm crazy. <laughs> Don't let that discourage you. I feel like I have to give people that disclosure when I tell them what I do for a living. I work at Celebration Church, but don't let that keep you from visiting. We'd still love to have you. I have to remind myself that when I don't see my path, that doesn't mean it isn't there. When I don't see my path, it doesn't mean it isn't there. It is known to my God because he wrote it, he built it even before the creation of the world. And so when I get in a what now situation and I'm holding my head and I just can't even think about what's next because I'm just trying to process what's happening now, I have to speak to my flesh. I have to speak to myself and remind myself, like 2 Timothy says, I am fully equipped in the word of God for every season. And then I can stand up. And I'll be honest, I start like this because I'm not crazy. I'm kind of like... I am fully equipped for, for every season in Jesus Christ through your word. Thank you, Lord. You have put my feet on solid ground. Thank you, Jesus. One step at a time. I can't see my path, but I know I can move forward. Lord, I thank you, Father God, that you have made known to me the paths of life. You have made known to me the paths of life, and they are not a mystery to me like the psalmist says. Like Isaiah says, there will be a voice in your ear whether you go right or left. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Oh, Lord, every step I take, I cannot see my path, but Father God, I know it is there, and I know that the just live by faith, and every step that I take. I am moving forward in faith in you. Even though I don't see the path, Lord Jesus, you are the path and I am walking in it. Amen? Amen. One step at a time. Sometimes, guys, we have to sit there and kind of talk ourselves into it because our flesh will talk us out. So sometimes I got to remind myself, stir it up and remind myself who I am. I'll tell you, that's why when you put on the armor of Christ, that is described in Ephesians, I always like the helmet of salvation because every thought that enters my mind, I remind myself, has to be filtered through the blood of Jesus, which is why I am saved and how I am saved. So my confidence is actually totally dependent on Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. Amen. 
So when I try to assess the situation, when I feel overwhelmed, when I start grabbing a paper bag and breathing into it, oh, that never happens to y'all. But when that happens to me, the helmet of salvation gives me the perspective I need to know, no, I know who I am in Jesus Christ. And though the path is hidden from, from me, it is not hidden from you, Lord. You have appointed my days. You have made my feet secure. I am not in a miry pit. I am fully equipped for every good work. Whether I go to the right or to the left, there will be a voice in my ear telling me this is the way, walk in it. And sometimes you just got to say that. You got to say that to yourself until you believe it. And all of a sudden you'll look down and your feet are walking. Oh my gosh, I'm moving forward. Who knew this road? Who knew? Who knew there was a plateau in the middle of the Red Sea? Who knew there was a door that was going to open to give us a better opportunity than the door that closed? Who knew the Lord would heal me? Who knew? Who knew the Lord would restore this relationship where I had tried everything else that I knew? Who knew? The Lord knew. The Lord knew. And he prepared you for it and opened the door for it. Amen. So it goes into my second point. There are no dead ends and it takes faith to go forward. It takes faith to go forward. If you keep reading in Exodus 14, verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, these are the children of Israel, they are scared to death, they're going to die right there on the beach. And he says, why do you cry out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to move forward towards the sea. Now sequence is very important here. I want you to pay very close attention. The Lord is telling the children of Israel, move forward. And then he tells Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand, and divide the sea so the Israelites may go through the middle of the sea. So wait a second. He told them to go forward towards the water before it was open. The Lord will tell you to move forward in a situation before you see a way out. And that's what faith is. When you get overwhelmed in a situation, I promise you, fear will show up. I promise you, fear will show up faster than anything else you've ever seen. And fear and faith are actually kind of on a, on a teeter-totter together. They're, they're opposites. Because fear is where you project yourself in a future where God is not present. Faith is where you project yourself in a future where God is present. So one of those two things are going to be counseling you when you are in an overwhelming situation. It'll either be fear or faith, fear or faith, fear or faith. And you have to decide who are you going to take your counsel from because they are both competing for your ear. So when I'm in that situation, I always remind myself that I have to take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if something is telling me that God is not going to be present in my future, that is from the pit of hell. That is exalting itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ because God promises me I will never leave you or forsake you. Where you go, I will go with you. Whether you are in the fire or the flood or if you're by yourself, I will send the comforter to you to be your peace, to teach you all things and to remind you of who you are in Jesus Christ. So when fear shows up and says, Sarah, there's no way out and God is not going to be there when you need him, then I realize, oh, my enemy's present, because that's the only language he speaks, but I cast down that thought and say, now, Lord, speak to me. Lord, remind me who I am in you, because fear and faith are going to compete for your ears, and you have to decide right now which one's going to be your counselor. Amen. I think I'm preaching pretty good, y'all. <laughs> Pastor Frankie makes it look so easy, doesn't he? Man. I don't want his day job. Thank you, Jesus. So the sequence is important. He told him to move forward towards the water before it opened. And he'll probably ask you to do the same. And faith is what's going to give you the courage to do that. Faith is going to give you the courage to do that. So in Exodus 14, 21, it says that Moses stretched out his faith. He stretched out his hand and the Lord beat the sea back. This is my question to you tonight. What in your life do you need to stretch your hand over? Even though you don't see a path forward. Even though the water isn't moving or trembling. Even though the Egyptians are pressing in from your back. What do you need to stretch your hand over tonight? Because what happened with the Israelites is that they moved forward 
and then they stretched their hand out and the waters opened. There is something in my life that I am praying for, that I am interceding for, for almost a year. And I haven't seen any movement in that, in that area that I am praying for. It's a very personal request. My family has needs. Your family has needs. I have parents and loved ones that have needs. And there are things that I'm specifically taking to the throne of God faithfully that I'm not seeing the, meat and the needle move on. But it does not keep me from stretching my hand over that thing. Because once you stretch your hand over a thing, you release the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God to do what he has to do. Moses stretched his hand over the water and then the east wind came and drove it back. The east wind, the Spirit of God, did not show up before Moses acted in faith. So I have to remind myself, Lord, if I will do my part, if I will be obedient to you, if I will walk in faith and stretch my hand over the thing you have given me a burden to pray for, I trust you that you're going to come right behind me with the east wind and open up that door, to open up that sea. Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk is about a prophet. In the first chapter, he just lays his complaint out to God. He says, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. Now, that's my kind of prophet, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Lord. He was a little more respectful for that, but that's how it goes. And if you read Habakkuk 1, it says, my complaint to the Lord. And at the end of chapter 1, at the start of chapter 2, the prophet says, now I will see what the Lord will say to me about my complaint. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will see, not hear, I will see what the Lord will say to my complaint. Sometimes you are straining so hard to hear God, you cannot see what he is doing in your life. And we have to sit back after we have poured our heart out to God to, like the prophet Habakkuk, step back and say, I will see to what the Lord will say to me. Open my eyes that I may see your hand, Lord Jesus, moving in a situation that in the natural I cannot see progress in. Because if I just rely on my five senses, that situation that is not changing will continue to frustrate me. But Lord, if you will open my eyes and I will start to see what you are saying to me, what you are saying to me in the supernatural will in turn manifest itself in the physical. I will see what the Lord will say to me. And I love the Lord's response to the prophet Habakkuk after he goes in another thing and another thing and another thing. The Lord tells the prophet, he says, get a pencil. He actually said, write this on a tablet. But I, in the Sarah International Version, I, he said, get a pencil. I'm about to tell you something. He says, write this down. This is the Lord speaking to the prophet. He says, though the vision tarry, wait for it. Though the vision tarry, wait for it. The Message Bible says that it longs for the coming and it will come in the appointed time. Sometimes I am praying so hard for something, church. I'm wanting God to move in this thing. I am holding on to it. All I'm staring at is a body of water. I don't see a way forward. All I know is I have figured out and done everything I know how to do, and it is up to God now. If you don't move God, it ain't going to move. And I have to remind myself what the prophet Habakkuk says. He says, though the vision tarry, wait for it. It longs for the coming. There are things in your life I know you are waiting on. I want to encourage you, wait a little bit longer. Wait a little bit longer. Don't try to swim it. Don't try to swim it. The Lord's going to part the water for you. Wait a little bit longer. It longs for the coming. Wait a little bit. How much longer? i got to wait, Sarah, a little bit longer. Sarah, I've been praying about this thing forever. Pray a little bit more. Sarah, is God ever going to move in this situation? Though it tarry, wait for it. It longed for the coming. Sarah, is this ever going to have a breakthrough in this? Yes. When? A little bit longer. Get a pencil. Write it down. Sometimes the temptation we have when we get in this dead-end situation is to make a swim for it or a run for it, and that's not God's will for our life. God's will for our life is to open up the water and let you walk through it. And the sequence is so important because he intends to open up that water to let you walk through it, but he also intends to drown the thing that's chasing you. And if you run from it or you try to outswim it, it will overcome you. 
And he's like, no, I've got a plan to not only take care of you, but the thing that's chasing you. And if you try to take a shortcut, it'll continue to chase you the rest of your life. I got a plan for you. Trust me in it. I'm not only going to part the waters, I'm going to drown the thing that's chasing you. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So the last thing here, I love that in the scripture it says that as the waters opened, the angel of the Lord, this is in uh, Exodus 14, 19. It says the angel of the Lord who went before the host went behind the host and the pillar of cloud that went before them came and stood behind them. Coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, the cloud was darkness to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to the Israelites, and one host did not come close to the other. I've read the Bible, I've been in Sunday school, I've eaten my fair share of animal crackers and Kool-Aid while I looked at felt boards. I never realized that the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. Let's go to the scripture. It says, in the morning watch, in verse 24, in the morning watch, the Lord brought the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptians and discomforted them. The morning watch is nighttime. It's not morning time, daytime. It's nighttime. It's the middle of the night. And why did the Israelites need light? Because he doesn't want them walking into the wall, of the wall of water that's on either side. But it was light to the Israelites and darkness to the Egyptians. I want to encourage you. My third point is this. Do not panic in the dark. God can do amazing things in the dark. The dark is not dark to him. And sometimes you and I end up on a beach and we end up in a dead end and it's completely pitch black and that panics us a little bit. But instead of focusing on the darkness, we need to just look to the light. We need to cultivate his presence because the presence of God, the presence of the living God was the light to the Israelites in their darkest hour where every odd is stacked against them, where they are trapped on a beach with no way forward, the presence of God shows up and begins to illuminate the beach for them and show them the way to go. I want to encourage you that in your darkest hour, do not look at how dark it is outside, but start to cultivate a prayer life and reading your word and entertain the presence of God. And all of a sudden, you're going to see light come into your situation, not for your enemy's sake, but for yours, not for their sake, but for yours. It was darkness to them. It was light to the Egyptians. Can the, I was thinking, Moses is stretching his hand out. An east wind is coming. It is pitch black. It is howling wind. There are about two million people, two million Israelites on this beach and chariots on this side. Can you imagine the chaos? It is deafening loud. First, you got two million people running around going, why did you take us here? We're going to die. It was better for you to leave me in Egypt. They got that going on. You got horses whinnying. You got a wind blowing like crazy can you imagine the deafening chaos and it's dark it's chaos in the light is one thing chaos in the dark is something completely different ask me I went camping in Huntsville State Park our dark in the woodlands cannot compete with dark in Huntsville I'm here to tell you I'm a grown woman and I could not get the courage to go to the bathhouse in the middle of the night and use the bathroom I held it, especially since I saw alligators that day in the pond, whatever that lake thing is. I asked my husband, I said, did you know they had alligators here? He said, Sarah, they won't bother you if you're not bothering them. I said, I am in their house. <laughs> what is this? I'll tell you right now, I'm Boy Scout camping at the Holiday Inn Express in Huntsville next time, people. The dark, there's a different kind of dark in Huntsville than there is in the woodlands. And there was a dark on that beach thousands of years ago. And the wind is howling. People are screaming. People are running around. And in your situation, 
chaos will try to invite itself. But I'm telling you right now, Moses told the people, he said, be quiet and watch the Lord fight for you today. Be quiet, be still, and watch the Lord fight for you today. And the Lord becomes a pillar of fire and light to them in that darkness. When the wind is howling, when you're feeling like chaos is going on, don't waste your energy cursing the darkness. Spend your energy entertaining the light. Sometimes I feel tempted, like I'm going to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. And I feel very spiritual when I do that, but I'm typically exhausted afterwards. But if instead, with the gates of hell and a water pestle, if I just continue to say, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you, Lord God, that you have numbered the hairs of my head. You know the things that concern me, and they concern you. And Father, I just invite you right now, because I need you. I need you right now, Jesus. I need you to show up right now, because I am overwhelmed, and I'm not sure which way to go. But Lord, I thank you, Father God, that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. God, these enemies are here because you intend to feed me, you intend to give me rest, and you're going to give these guys a front row seat to see it all. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father God, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Father God, I thank you, Jesus, that there is not a place my foot will tread that you have not prepared to give me that thing. In Jesus' name. And I just start magnifying the name of Jesus and entertaining the light in that situation. And all of a sudden, the chaos goes down about 10 levels. Because now I can kind of see what's going on instead of entertaining the darkness that's around me. So the children of Israel are, are panicking in the dark, and it's happening in the night. And if you pick it up here in verse 24, and you go to, I said it was in the morning watch, it was in the middle of the night. On verse 25, it says, And the Lord bound clogged, took off the chariot wheels, making them to drive heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, this is verse 26, stretch out your hand. You got to stretch out your hand again. <laughs> stretch out your hand so that the waters may come upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and their horsemen. Sometimes we stretch out our hand to get victory in a situation and we forget to stretch out our hand to make sure that we never go there again. Lord Jesus, I need you to open up these waters. Lord Jesus, keep me far from that path ever again. He had to stretch out his hand twice, church. Sometimes I get so focused on where I'm going, I forget to say, now, Lord, close that back door. I don't want to ever go back there again. You know, that's why the Lord, when he said, can you not pray with me one hour to the disciples in Gethsemane, he said that you may not fall into temptation. Sometimes the reason you pray is to just keep the enemy from taking you down a path you're not supposed to go or luring you back to what you know you have a propensity for. That's why I have to stay close to Jesus and close to him in prayer. So Moses reached out his hand over the waters, and the waters came again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and their horsemen. That's verse 26. Verse 27. This is how we know it happened in the middle of the night. So Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its strength and normal flow when the morning appeared. When the morning appeared, the sea closed back up where it had been opened, and it had drowned all the Egyptians. One of the biggest moves of God, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, whether you believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible, just about everybody on the planet knows the story of the children crossing the Red Sea, right? Hollywood's made movies on it. Charlton Heston was Moses once. Christian Bale was Moses once. It's like, who's going to be the next Batman? Who's going to be the next Moses, right? God one of the most powerful demonstrations of his power happened in the middle of the night. The middle of the night. And I want to submit to you where you feel like you are in the middle of the night and dawn cannot come fast enough, I want to encourage you just hold on. 
God loves moving in the night because the night is not like night to him. The darkness cannot hide you from him. He has your path secure and he has your door open and you just sit back and wait. If you will entertain his presence, it will be light to you and darkness to your enemies. And the thing that has been chasing you, he will drown up. Amen. Amen. So by morning... Everything, it's like nothing had ever happened. It was like a Lord, the Lord took a broom to the Egyptians and there was no trace of them. The word tells us that Pharaoh sent everything he had, every chariot. He sent his gold-plated, gold-wheeled chariots after the Israelites. 600 chariots, commanders, and charioteers. He put all his chips in the middle of the table. It's like, I'm going to go get these people and bring them back. And the Lord hardened his heart. He was defiant. He was proud. He was going to go back for those Israelites. And the Lord swept it off the face of the earth. You know, I, I love that the Lord specifically told them not to go straight to Canaan, it said, but he turned them around. And I want to submit to you that the Lord did not want the children of Israel fighting an enemy at their front and at their back. He knew the Egyptians would want to come for them one day. But he said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take care of the Egyptians right now. The Egyptians you see today, you're not going to see again, Israelites. I'm going to take care of this right now. The most civilized people on the planet at their time, the most sophisticated war machine of their time. Chariots are not a big deal to us, but in their day and age, it was like tanks. It was mechanized army. It was swift. It was effective. And God, in one night, takes the most sophisticated army and erases them from the planet. One night, I don't know what's chasing you tonight. I don't know what's hot on your heels. But I want to submit to you that it is not bigger than God. And he can do more in one night. He can do more in one season where you feel trapped on a beach than you could ever do in a lifetime of worrying about it. Corey Tim Boone has this great quote. She survived the Holocaust. There's a beautiful book written about her called The Hidden Room. And she and her sister and her father hid Jews during World War II in their home in Holland. And it's called The, Hidden, the Upper Room, or The Hidden Room, I think it is. Corey Tim Boone. She made, yes, she was Dutch. It's been a little while since I read the book. And she says, worry does not lend strength to tomorrow but robs today of its strength. Sometimes you and I, we get so worried about that chariot that's chasing us. Are we going to be able to find another job? How long will our money last? Are we, is this treatment going to work? Do you think the baby will respond to this medication? I don't know. Will our son ever come home? We haven't seen him in six years. Sometimes we're so consumed with the chariot that our worries rob us of the strength we need for tomorrow. You know, I was 15, we're gonna, I'm going to close here right now, and I've got a video to show you guys as the guys are getting it ready and dimming the lights. I was in the state of Virginia. You can get your learner's permit when you are 15 and 8 months. And my birthday is April 21st, and so on December 21st, I was at the DMV with my dad. I had studied that state of Virginia driver test book, like religiously. Like I was like, quiz me, quiz me. I know who goes first at a four-way stop. It's the person on the right, by the way, which is what the people in the woodlands need to remember. We got so many four-way stops, and soccer moms are like, you go, I, I go, you go. Like, it's always the person on the right, y'all. Always the person on the right. All right? Person on the right. And I'd studied so hard for that test, and I remembered they had a parallel parking exam. Does anybody remember having to get in your car with the instructor and demonstrate that you could parallel park? First of all, when you live in the suburbs, nobody ever parallel parks. And be honest, y'all, we're lazy here in the Woodlands. I know you all use the valet when you go to Market Street. You don't even parallel park there. It's worth $5 not to parallel park. But I had to know how to parallel park to pass my test. And I agonized over it. I stressed over it. I read, I read, I read, I read. And I took my test and I passed. I was like, that was a huge victory to me. And I look back now at the torture parallel parking put me through and I laugh about it. We all have things in our life that at the time 
were this big. We're like, how in the world are we going to get past this? I can't see anything past this. This is huge to me. And then time and perspective change our total perspective on that thing. It puts it in its rightful place. Well, the Israelites are being pursued by these chariots. And you know what? Thousands of years later, you know when those chariots are? They're still at the bottom of the Red Sea. There's footage of archaeologists who finally, again, science catches up to the Bible. And they're like, if the Israelites really crossed here, then we should be able to find some kind of archaeological evidence because the Bible says that some of the wheels were made of gold. So we should find, maybe we're going to find something. And Ron Wyatt was the archaeologist, and they actually found chariot axles and wheels that had been encased in coral over thousands of years. They had been petrified in the seafloor. They actually found chariot wheels because the word says that the Lord took the chariot wheels off the chariot so they were heavy to drive. They actually found a gold chariot wheel. Pharaoh sent his best chariots after the Israelites and they're at the bottom of the Red Sea. I want to encourage you, the enemy's going to send his best tormentors your way. But if you will hold on, if you will trust the Lord to open your path up to you, if you will just entertain his presence and allow him to be your light, the thing that is chasing you, that is consuming you, that is worrying the most is going to end up in the bottom of the Red Sea, a monument to your faith, a reminder to your children and your children's children what is possible when you will walk through what God has for you and allow him to drown the thing that is chasing you. Gosh, that's powerful, church. I want to be that. I want to be able to trust God for that. Let's stand together. I'm going to close and just pray for you guys, and I want to open up the altar because everybody's got a different chariot after them. (laughs) And if you don't have a chariot after you, you will tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. Chariots come in all shapes and sizes, and the enemy will show up whenever he can. But I want to encourage you that God is still the God of opening seas. He is still the God of drowning enemies. And he wants to open seas and drown enemies for you tonight. The thing that is consuming you, the thing that is worrying you, you have to remember that in 10 or 15 years, you'll probably laugh about it like you laugh about sweating over parallel parking. Because time and perspective will give you that peace. Just laugh about it now. Don't wait to laugh about it in 10 or 15 years. Let the Lord be your confidence right now. In the darkness, in the chaos, in the craziness that is happening, choose peace. Fight for peace. I have to fight for peace. Peace is not something that just kind of naturally camps right here. Because the enemy's like trying to steal that from me. So there are times where I lay my head on a pillow at night and I fight for my sleep. (laughs) I fight for it. No, Lord, you said in the Psalms, I will lay down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, cause me to dwell in safety. That's what I have to tell myself. And I just feel that tonight, that there are things that you are fighting that the Lord wants to fight for you. If you will sit down and you will be quiet, Rest in him and let him fight for you. Stretch your hand over that situation and let him open up a door and then stretch your hand back over it and see your enemies drown. Where are you tonight that you need that, church? Don't allow yourself to settle for exhaustion. Don't allow yourself to settle for chaos. But remind yourself that, no, my God is a way maker. My God is a way maker. Amen.